And our children through fifth grade may attend Children's Church at this time. Let's pray. I think I'm on. Let's pray as we begin based upon that song we just sang, Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for the word that you have planted deep within our souls. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see and to believe? Lord, would you cause your church to hunger for your ways? Lord, this is your church. Christ is the chief shepherd, so lead us to hunger for your ways. Help us to thirst for your word. Lord, impact us, strengthen us, stir us to do your will and to do your work here on the South Shore and beyond. Father, unite us as a church family in word and in deed where there's rivalry, dissension, where there's any of these things, Lord, would you uh, stamp them out? Would you cause us to repent, to trust in you, to believe in you, to proclaim your wisdom in a world that is looking and longing for so many things other than you? Lord, we know that you are the one true God, and we worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Well, in case we haven't met yet, I'm Steve Grissom, the associate pastor here at South Shore Baptist Church. It's my privilege to proclaim God's word, to preach from God's word this morning. We're going to be in Colossians 4. We only have two sermons left in Colossians. I know that makes you sad, but uh, it's been a great summer in Colossians. And so we're going to look at Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. So turn, it's in the Pew Bible on page 1045, as you turn there, have you ever opened a package and saw the set of assembly instructions and thought to yourself, I don't need those instructions. Those are for someone else. I can figure this out on my own. Well, I was thankful this past week to get a new office chair, very comfy office chair. And when I opened it and saw the parts list and the instructions, I thought, I'm going to put that together later. Thankfully, Matt Melvin was in, the, in early on Monday morning and desti- decided to start putting it together. This was just one page, and uh, he put it together in half the time it would have taken me, so I'm very thankful for uh, him being eager to do so. I was ready to shove that box into a corner in another room. But instructions are important, not just for office chairs or DIY projects at home. Instructions are helpful in navigating life. It's been said before that the Bible could be used as an acrostic by saying it's basic instructions before leaving earth. Now, I know that's kind of cheesy, but it's true. So here in Colossians 4, we find some final instructions. Paul's kind of summing things up. He's bringing his letter to a close, and he's kind of rapid fire with some last instructions. Don't forget about this and this and this and this. So these are some final instructions from Paul as he writes to the church at Colossae. But the instructions are not just for the believers long, long ago, they're for us today. 
Recently, when listening to another pastor, he spoke about the tone of the text and how it's important to listen for the tone and to think about the tone as you read along in the Bible. So keep that in mind. Just think about Paul as he's summing up this letter and as we read from Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Paul writes these words. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. This is the word of the king. This is the word for us today. So this passage is, again, rapid fire with some final instructions. Final instructions for the believers there. Now, this, this passage doesn't have the controversial subjects like last week. Somebody was asking me before the service, how did Mike end up with that passage? I don't know, but I was thankful. <laughs> and so it doesn't have those controversial subjects, but this passage should still get our undivided attention. Don't gloss over these five verses as we sum up Colossians. So how does Paul begin? What's his first point? Remember to pray. The first point is speak to God. We are, we are called to talk to our Heavenly Father. We are to devote ourselves to prayer. He says, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Is prayer essential or is prayer optional? If this is the buffet table of Christianity, we say, eh, I'll gloss over prayer today for a little bit more of Bible reading. No, Bible reading is important, but also as prayer is, so prayer is essential for the Christian life. That doesn't surprise us that Paul would mention this. Prayer is literally mentioned hundreds and hundreds of times in Scripture. But Paul doesn't just say, pray when you get a free moment or pray when things are looking kind of grim. Paul gives us a posture for prayer, and then he gives us a command as we pray. So what's the posture for prayer? He's saying, lean in. Lean in. May your heart be devoted. We are devoted sometimes to our hobbies. We're devoted, of course, to our spouses. But he says here, devote yourselves to prayer. Well, prayer is conversing with God, talking to God. Prayer is not for the elite. It is for you and me. So as followers of Jesus, we see the power of prayer in our lives. Just this morning, right before the service, one of our our members said, Thank you so much for praying for me this week. Let me tell you how God answered prayer. We could all stand this, maybe it's not this past week, but of course over our lives we could all talk about how God has answered prayer. Well, we see the importance of prayer in the book of Acts. In the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Even those who don't know or follow God understand prayer is powerful. We're going to talk about evangelism and sharing our faith in just a moment. Let me encourage you with this question, this um, way of sharing your faith. As you meet people, ask them this simple question, how can I pray for you? 
I mean, I can count on, on one hand how many times people have said, no, I don't want prayer. So just ask that question, how can I pray for you? So even people who don't follow God understand prayer is powerful. In the book of Jonah, the sailors told Jonah, remember what the sailors said? Pray to your God, maybe he will have mercy on us. So they understood the importance of prayer. As you devote yourselves to prayer, prayer is something that we delight in. It's something we make a priority because we speak and we spend time with our Creator. James 4 says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. This shows a posture towards God similar to what Psalm 145 says, the Lord is near all who call out to Him, all who call out to Him with integrity. But often we pray not out of delight and devotion, but out of obligation. Listen to what Pastor John Anwuchekwa says. I read this, it was very convicting this past week. Pastor John says, we pray just enough to check off the box that we should pray, and then our conscience is clear. Prayer feels like a prescription for an infection we have so that we may gather, gather together when things get really bad. We pray during moments of crisis, and then we move on when life is manageable. But we don't pray with a, I got this attitude, but rather we pray with a, Lord, you got this. Lord, you are good, and I'm trusting you mindset. We rest while we trust. We're trusting in God. We pray with gratitude, knowing that God is in control. This leads us to the command of verse 2. So first, there's the posture of verse 2. We are to devote ourselves to God. Now the command. What's the command in verse 2? He says, stay alert in prayer and pray with thanksgiving. I'm actually encouraged by this because if the early believers in Colossae needed to, that command, uh, then I should feel good as well because sometimes it's hard to stay alert. Paul tells the believers, be vigilant in prayer. Literally, the Greek means to be wakeful. Stay awake while you pray. Paul is telling them, don't go to sleep when you pray. Is it possible to fall asleep when we pray? Of course. Have I ever fallen asleep whenever I prayed? You better believe it. Have you fallen asleep while you prayed? Or when your spouse prayed? Don't answer that question. <laughs> and so sometimes it is hard to stay awake when we pray. But here we are called to stay alert in prayer and we pray. We pray to the one who made us. We pray for God's kingdom to come, for the Lord's will to be done. We pray for deliverance from the evil one. We pray for those that we love. Also, this is this hard for me, we pray for our enemies and those who seek to malign us or hurt us. We pray not because we feel superior, or because we are driven by guilt, why do we pray? Because we're God's children, because we've been forgiven, because we know grace, because we know the mercy of God. We pray because we know God. We are His children. We pray with thanksgiving. Paul tells us to pray with thanksgiving, so we're to pray with a posture of gratitude for all that the Lord has done. It reminds me of so many different psalms. Psalm 95 says, Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. Old faithful Psalm 100 says, 
Give thanks to the Lord and bless his name. Again, we could have person after person pop up this morning, stand up and testify. I am thankful for fill in the blank. So we are so thankful for what the Lord has done. It makes me think of a song that we sing here quite often. My heart is filled with thanksgiving to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me in his light and wrote his law of righteousness with power upon my heart. We pray because of all that the Lord has done. He's opened our eyes to see. He's changed our hearts to believe. We've seen the power of the gospel in our lives. So first, Paul calls us to speak to God. Second, Paul says, speak the gospel. Verses 3 and 4, Paul is praying. He connects praying. He connects prayer to the word. He says, pray for me, but also pray for my message. Pray for the word to be proclaimed. Pray for the word to go forward. And so Paul connects prayer with the word. This reminds me of earlier in Colossians. Colossians 1 Paul says, I become its servant. I become the servant of the church, referring to the church according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The word has been revealed. It's no longer hidden. It's revealed. And so Paul is passionate about prayer. He's even more passionate about the Word of God because he knows it's God's words that have changed him. And he desires for others to be changed by this Word. Paul prays that God will open a door for the Word. What is he referring to here as he talks about the Word? The Word of God, the Logos, is to be proclaimed, for it to be heard near and far Paul's not saying, I'm going to keep this word here just for us, just for the church here. I want this word to be proclaimed near and far for the nations to know, for the tribes, for the tongues, for the peoples to know, near and far for them to embrace the word of God. That is his prayer. So he asked the Christians, join me, join me in prayer as the word goes forth. Pray for a door to be opened so that the word might go forward. Sometimes we, we pray and we have prayer requests for health, health concerns, family members, world situations. There's plenty going on in our world. But we can also pray for the, wor- the word to land on good soil. Soil that receives gospel seeds that are scattered. I love what John Piper says about verse 3. He says, when Paul pleads with the Colossians in chapter 4, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word, I take him to mean that when Christians pray, God changes circumstances and attitudes and receptivity for the word so that instead of hitting a brick wall, the word finds an open door and becomes unusually effective. The word goes forth. So we see Paul here talking about the importance of the word going forth. He prays for open doors to make known the word, to speak the mystery of Christ. But here's the the amazing thing to me. He prays for these things while he's in chains. While he's in chains. 
So this should give, give us even more urgency, fuel our prayer life as we desire for the word to go forth, as we speak the word in freedom. Speaking the gospel, proclaiming the gospel can be intimidating, can be frustrating and even overwhelming. As you think about sharing the gospel, it can be like the choice of whether or not to schedule a dentist visit. You're thinking, I'm not so sure how that's going to go. I'm going to put that off maybe uh, two more months down the road. Well, as you think about the daunting task of evangelism, let me recommend, I recommend probably too many books, I get that, but let me recommend this small little book called Honest Evangelism. I've probably read seven or eight books on evangelism. This one is so good and small, which is helpful, and it's really, really good as we think about evangelism. Rico Tice gives three motivations for sharing your faith even when fears rise in our hearts. All of us can say there's fears that come in our hearts as we think about sharing our faith with an uncle, with a neighbor, with a co-worker. And he says, as fears rise in your hearts, think about these three motivations. The glory of Jesus, the guarantee of the new creation, and the grim reality of death and hell. Rico says evangelism is like pointing a parched friend to the fountain, helping them to drink, helping them to see. Paul understood the importance of sharing his faith because his life was transformed. And we see his passion. His passion is connected to his love for God and his love for others. What does, he, what, does he say, what does he say to the Romans? Romans 10, he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning for them is their salvation. That's what motivated Paul. So as we love others, we speak the gospel. Loving people includes speaking the gospel. Loving people includes warning people. Loving people includes listening to people. While we have words to speak, it's also imper imperative that we have ears to listen. We are called to speak, we are called to proclaim, but we also need to have ears to listen. We should ask questions, questions and listen as they answer. And listen for the questions that they have. Many times the questions that they raise may be bringing up years of pain, a difficult situation questions that are unanswered. Listen for those questions. As you think about sharing your faith and thinking about what to do or what not to do, let me encourage you to go to the gospel sharing group. There's only two Mondays left, and tomorrow night they have guests, uh, one of our members, Eric Briscoe, coming to share with the gospel sharing group and talking about his experience in sharing the gospel. And so meet with the group there in room 22 and be encouraged as you share your faith. But let me ask you, who are you praying for in your life that needs to hear the gospel? Who are you praying for? Are you intentionally seeking ways to serve them? Are you listening for questions that reveal their pain? Pointing them to the God who hears and that can save them. Just a couple weeks ago, one of our members mentioned to me how thankful that they were for the sermon series we had a couple years ago called Who's Your One? You remember that sermon series? I think it was about two years ago. Pastor Cody challenged us to choose one or more individuals to share the gospel with. 
Well, this sounds familiar. Just a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I guess now, after our annual meeting, Pastor Cody challenged us again to have, remember the challenge? To have three gospel conversations this summer. Well, Uncle Cody's going to be returning soon. I want to be able to give him a praise report. Let's share with him the people that we have been sharing with. So let me encourage you to think about who you can share with before the summer ends. I want to pray for you. Just send me a text, send me an email. Pray for Bill, my next door neighbor. Pray for Sally. Pray for whoever it might be. We want to pray for you. We want to cheer you on as you speak the grace of God in your own life. I love... I love the praise report that Barnabas and Paul give in Acts chapter 14. Listen to this praise praise report from Acts 14. It says that after they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, Italia. From there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. They spent a considerable amount of time with the disciples. This is what God can do. This is the power of God. But I don't want to paint a rose-colored picture where every evangelistic encounter turns into souls saved, churches started, and communities transformed. You and I know better. You know the stories where someone said, that's all right, I'm all set. Yeah, yeah, find someone else. While we pray for hearts that are open to our message, sometimes there's resistance even persecution. What I often find when sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is this, apathy. Eh, I could do something better with my time. People just don't care. Apathy can contribute to a number of societal downfalls, increased crime, lack of concern for neighbor, and a lack of concern to implement change in their own life. But we share, we share the message of good news, the message that actually changes lives. That's the message that we share. We share the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the message that we share. So our goal is not to increase activism or to amplify our voices, but rather to be ambassadors for Christ and amplify, amplify whose voice? The voice of Jesus to those God has placed around us. Now, when I say amplify the voice of Jesus, don't hear me say, shout louder, be brash, or tear down your opponents while waving your Bible in their face. That's not a good strategy. So what is the strategy? Let's look to the text in our last two verses as we think about our voice in a challenging culture. Not only are we called to speak to God, speak the gospel, we are called to speak with grace. Verses 5 and 6. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech 
Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Paul hits us with a few action verbs as he finishes his instructions for the church. He exhorts us to act wisely toward outsiders, making the most use of the time. So let's break this down. First, he says, act wisely toward outsiders. Well, what's the opposite of acting wisely? Acting foolishly. Proverbs speaks to this. A foolish individual is not responsible. It's reckless and does not give thought to their words and their actions. But you and I are to act wisely toward others. Our actions should reflect lives that point to God, that are self-controlled, and lives that love others. You are to act wisely toward outsiders as you point people to the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of man built on? The kingdom of man is built on ego and lust and greed and pride. Pride in one's possessions, pride in one's ability, pride in one's family. These are castles that are made of sand and that will dry up and wash away. But the kingdom of God, this is what we point people towards. This is as we proclaim the wisdom of God, we're pointing people towards the kingdom of God. What is it built on? Joy and righteousness and peace as the Holy Spirit shines the light on the work of Christ. The the kingdom of God reveals the work of God in us and through us. Not only do our beliefs in God change, but our behaviors have changed as we walk with new desires and new goals. Colossians 4, 5 reminds me of Ephesians 5, which says this, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is is. You and I are to walk in wisdom. We're to make most of the time that God has given to us. This past week in a staff meeting, one of the staff members threw out an interesting question for us to consider. might surprise you which staff member threw this question out. The question was, would you rather, would you rather live to be 60 years old or 110 years old? I know what some of you are thinking, but anyway, wherever you're at, would you rather to be, live to be 60 years old or 110 years old? So it brought good discussion. Now, obviously, none of us know when we will breathe our last breath. None of us know what the next year will look like. We don't even know what tomorrow will look like. We don't know if it's going to rain on Wednesday. I don't know, you don't know, the weatherman may think that they know, but they don't know. We'll find out on Wednesday. What we do know, though, is that our days are numbered. This is what Moses teaches us from Psalm 90. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. So make the most of the days as you live for God and as you point people to Jesus. Let's now turn to the last verse, the last verse. We're going to get out early today. This is amazing. Verse 6, 
Paul tells us, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Paul's stepping on our toes here for a second. Our speech is an important part of our witness. It's easy sometimes to overlook language that is filthy and foul, especially living in New England. Our environment and our coworkers may not be the best example when it comes to language. I mean, think about the coworkers that I work with, rough crowd. <laughs> but in all seriousness, our speech should reflect lips that speak the truth, hearts that forgive, and humility as we care for one another. Paul's saying your, your lips should reflect what Christ has done in your lives. If Christians are arrogant, it doesn't help our witness. When's the last time you, you were with someone who was so arrogant and you thought, can't wait to get another cup of coffee with them? No. If we are arrogant, it doesn't help our witness. It only causes others to question our beliefs. So our speech is supposed to be seasoned with salt. You are to be salty. You may be thinking, finally, I don't mind getting a little salty from time to time. While we may think of salty in connection with sarcasm or profanity, that's not what Paul has in mind here. Seasoned with salt was used to refer to witty or clever or even humorous speech. Think about Rick Coughlin. He always has a humorous line. We are not Christ followers who are rebels ready for a fight. We are also not boring believers. We can use our speech and our minds to enlighten and to encourage others. I can't help but think about Terry, the pun master Tupper here. Her wit has put a smile on a few faces. So as we season our speech with salt, it's not about just our humor. It's about pointing others to Christ, who has changed how we walk and who's changed how we talk. The last part of the verse says that as we speak, as we speak, we should know how to answer or to respond to each person. Come on, Paul. Now, Paul's not saying that we should be the, the Bible answer man or the Bible answer woman or to be an apologetics expert, but he is saying that we should know the faith. We should be grounded in the faith. There have been many in instances when I haven't had the answer to the question asked of me. In, in fact, Joe, the new uh, youth director, came in this past week and he said, Hey, hey, Steve, uh, there was a Bible study this past week and just had a question about Hebrews 9, this verse right here. What's your thoughts on that? I said, Joe, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have the answer. That's a good question, though. So we don't have to always have the answer. But what Paul is saying here is that we need to be grounded in the faith. Paul was a scholar. He was an apostle. And he asked for wisdom. So if he asks for wisdom, it's good for us to ask for wisdom. Paul prays for wisdom. In Colossians 1, he says, We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So as you pray, as you walk by faith, it's important to search the scriptures and be prepared to answer others. We're to be well anchored in the faith, 
Our gospel-centered hope is rooted and grounded in the one true triune God who made promises, who kept those promises, and point us to the promised one revealed in the word of God. The scriptures speak with clarity. The scriptures speak with authority. And the scriptures are sufficient for our lives. But there are many questions that we will face. Maybe from family, maybe from friends, maybe from neighbors. Here's just four. Maybe you're asked this. Do all religions point to the same God? How can we know the Bible that we have today is trustworthy? What happens to people who have never heard the gospel? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins to be forgiven? That'll take a little bit of time to answer. We're not going to answer all these questions today, but let's look at that last one for a few minutes. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins to be forgiven? The cross is mysterious to many. For Gandhi, the cross was an example to the world. For Madonna, the cross is a symbol that symbolizes suffering. For many atheists like Sam Harris, he calls the cross a fairy tale. But history and scholars and research have shown that Jesus did indeed die on the cross. Skeptic John Dominic Crisson even said, The crucifixion of Jesus is as certain as any historical fact can be. Okay, okay, Jesus died on the cross, but that wasn't the question. Why? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins to be forgiven? For us to be forgiven, the cost and the suffering reflect how badly we have sinned. Tim Keller states this reality well. He says, forgiveness means absorbing the debt of the sin yourself. Everyone who forgives great evil goes through a death into resurrection and experiences nails, blood, sweat, and tears. Should it surprise us then that when God determined to forgive us rather than punish us for all the ways that we have wronged him and one another, that he went to the cross in the person of Jesus Christ and died there? John Stott said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? I also have ten other reasons, but I won't share them right now. If you would like to hear those reasons, you'd like me to share that with you by email. There's many reasons why Jesus died on the cross. The cross represents a great exchange or some have called it the great reversal. At the cross, we understand the depth of our sin and we understand the mercy of God. Justice, justice is fulfilled when Christ dies in our place. So as you think about Colossians 4, as you think about the mystery of the cross and of Christ, let me ask you to look to what God has done for you through the cross on our own we don't measure up we are sinners we fall short we rebel we are not righteous but when we read the bible what do we find the truth we find what we need we need righteousness to be acceptable to god yet on our own you and i don't have it what do we have we have sin because we are sinners. 
So God has what we need and don't deserve, righteousness. And we have what God hates and rejects, sin. So what is God's answer to this situation? His answer is Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the one God sent to die. He died in your place and bore your condemnation so that you might be forgiven and live. But he didn't just die. He was buried and he rose again so that we might be set free, so that we might be forgiven. And Paul is telling us that the word of God is being proclaimed in Colossae and all over the world. One of the things that encourages me is that as I proclaim the word of God, as Pastor Cody proclaims the word of God, as we preach the word of God, we're not the only ones that are doing it. Churches all across the world at this hour, an hour later, five hours before us, are proclaiming the word of God that brings life. And as we proclaim this word, people are being changed. Eyes are being opened. People see Jesus Christ is the Savior and Redeemer that they need. So let me ask you this morning, have you trusted in Christ? Let me encourage you to turn to Him and find forgiveness in Him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have opened our eyes to see and to believe. Lord, help us to live your word out. Lord, help us to proclaim your word. Help us to speak the mystery of Christ. Lord, we don't have all the answers, but we do know Jesus Christ is the answer for our souls. We thank you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, help us to look to Christ and to follow him. Help us not only to proclaim these things in our minds, but help our lives to reflect Christ in our day-to-day interactions. Help us to be wise in the way in which we interact with others. Lord, we pray others will say, this person is living not for their own gain, but for something or someone else. We live for Christ. We proclaim for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Lord, we have gained because of your promises and we rejoice in what you have done. Help us to trust in you in all things and in all that we say and do, we give you all the honor and all the glory. It's in Christ's name, amen.